Welcome to the Health Elevation Nutrition Podcast, a podcast where we talk about how to elevate your health and performance through science-based nutrition. I'm Hanley Etzebeth, registered dietitian and owner and founder of Health Elevation Nutrition. Let's elevate. Today on the podcast, we have Jan Skoltz. Jan is a biokineticist and we met online and really realized that we have a lot of missions and values in common. And as healthcare practitioners, working in a multidisciplinary team really helps us to put our patient first and helps us to have good client outcomes. So we decided to get together, have a bit of a chat and talk about Jan's approach to health and fitness, the impact of telehealth um, on client care, collaboration, and what it means to him to be a bio. So Jan, just kicking off, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Hi, Anli. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And I appreciate the interdiscipline collaboration we have here today. I think it, it's always great to chat to another healthcare professional, um, especially as we try to improve our like patient care and, and things like that. So to everyone on your podcast listening, uh, my name is Jan Skols. I'm a biokineticist. I'm from Cape Town in South Africa, and um, I actually studied in Nelson Mandela University back in Port Elizabeth, and I did an undergraduate in a Bachelor's of Science focusing on biochemistry and physiology, as well as human movement science. Uh, opted to complete my honors in biokinetics, uh, did an internship, became a registered biokineticist, and I'm currently uh, finishing my master's degree in research focusing on physical activity promotion among healthcare uh, professions within the public healthcare of South Africa. So a couple of things happening now, but that's more or less the, the skinny on, 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 on who I am, what I do. Um, and yeah, that, that's more or less what it is. <laughs> I love that. And when it comes to your philosophy of health and fitness, you have quite a unique take on things. So chat to us a bit about that. Yeah, so again, I wouldn't always call it unique because I think there's a there's a lot of healthcare professions and, and, and other clinicians that, that think in, in a similar way with regards to health and, and, and well-being. But I think, you know, at, at the core of, of what I would say my philosophy is, is patient care and empower empowerment, right? And empowerment of patient care can happen through um, a lot of different modalities. So my, uh, I want to call it my alias on, on, on Instagram and, and TikTok is the optimistic bio. And uh, the reason for that is because it, it fits into movement optimism, which kind of plugs and plays into the whole empowerment of your patient um, philosophy. Um, it's, it's trying to see how can we use which, whatever our, our, let's say, modality of care is in, in my scenario, be it exercise and physical activity and, and things like that. And how can we use that to empower our patient to improve their health and well-being, you know, um, that includes things like, you know, limiting the barriers we create. I think a big part of the philosophy that I have is how can we remove some of these barriers that our patients perceive when it comes to health and fitness? Um, from an exercise perspective, for example, you know, um, if you're someone that had, does not have a, a history of exercise or participating in sport, or you might not come from a background where sport and, and health was, was a big thing, um, how can we make it easier for you to, to get involved? You know, um, can we put out more information that's going to help you achieve some of your goals? Um, so that that kind of fits the whole, I want to say, patient empowerment perspective. Um, and the, the movement opti optimum, uh, optimism perspective that, that surrounds that is also related to that whole barrier aspect. You know, um, how do we view exercise and physical activity and movement? Do we view it as something that anyone can do? Or do we view it from a, a I want to say, um, a magnifying glass that zooms in on all of these specifics I need to achieve 
before I can start to do something. And that's that's a, a big part of the philosophy that I have is how can I remove some of those barriers that people do perceive with regards to starting exercise or starting a sport or using that to improve their health and well-being. Um, so that's more or less the, the, the philosophy that, that, that I've, I've um, entangled myself in. And it, it comes from a lot of different clinicians from, from various international sources. You know, if, uh, if, you, if some of your listeners are, are keen to look at, you know, what, what movement optimism is, as well as, you know, I want to say focus on the patient-centered uh, approach. Um, people like Greg Lehman um, in Canada is a, is, is a great example. Um, someone like Peter O'Sullivan, um, who's in Australia, is also another another great example of, of physiotherapists and chiropractors and, and different clinicians who, who also follow a similar approach. And I would almost call them um, the, the, the grandfather of movement optimism, if I can put it that way, especially Peter O'Sullivan. Um, but yeah, that, that's more or less where, where I find myself these days. Um, and it's also an, an evolving philosophy, if I can put it that way, you know, um, it's it's not, I don't want to want to make it sound, you know, that it's a philosophy that's set in stone that, you know, it has to be this way and, you know, it doesn't change. I think, and you'll probably agree with me, Hanley, is that as soon as there is evolving research, you know, um, if there's changes in the paradigms that we, we focus on and we um, find that there needs to come, like I want to say there needs to be a change in what we do as clinicians or, or as healthcare professionals, I think you incorporate that into your philosophy. Um, and having that, that uh, I want to say, adaptive, you know, component to your philosophy will, will allow you to, to do that, you know, so we, we don't get too dogmatic in our approaches to, to health and wellness. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, definitely. And you touched on so many important points there. And I love that you said we need to always be evolving. And we yep. need to always be evolving as individual practitioners, but also in our approach as collaborative practitioners. And science is always evolving. And that's one thing that we need to remember, especially nowadays where a lot of information is being shared. I don't think there has ever been a time where information has been as abundant as now. But the issue with that sometimes is that sometimes public information lags behind what is happening in science. And also there can be some misinterpretation, miscommunication that happens between science and what is actually coming out and about in yeah. public. Um, and that is why we actually aim to like pursue something in research, both of us. We were like, okay, I want to know more about the research process. I want to know more about um, how how do I actually dissect literature to know what to recommend to my patients? Yeah. Um, and I absolutely love that about you. And another important thing that you touched on was other professionals, other clinicians, and learning from them. So what does collaboration between practitioners mean to you? What does a multidisciplinary approach mean to you? And why would you reach out to me as a dietitian, not a fellow biogeneticist, when you want to collaborate with another professional? Yeah, th th that's a great question. Um, I think if we, you know, it, it can almost fit into your first question as to, you know, what is health and, and wellness, what is health and, and, a, and a healthy lifestyle? And I think, you know, when we take a look at the components of health, you know, be it exercise and dietary habits and sleep and all of these different components we have, none of them happen in like a vacuum, right? So it's not like I can take a patient or any person per se and, and single out you know, purely physical activity and forget about all the other factors and then continue on that road, hoping that it will make a, a significant impact, you know, without taking all of these other components or spheres of health into account. And I think that's where, you know, my focus is relates to, um, you know, reaching out to different practitioners, because again, 
there's a there's definitely a, a big relationship or big role to work with another clinician, you know, that focuses on a different health component, a different sphere of health. Because again, at the end of the day, we are focusing on a patient's agenda, right? So what, what is your goal? If you if you if you um, approaching it from a patient-centered care approach, what do you want to achieve, right? You want to help your patient and you want to make sure that whatever they have on their agenda is what you are going to serve by your treatment method. And I think if if you know, for example, if you know that for yourself as a clinician, if, if you can focus on a specific role, um, you know there's more components to it and you can't address all of them. Um, why not refer out and why not reach out? And I, I think that's very important. You know, we, we shouldn't try to be a professional or a, uh, I want to say, a guru in everything. You know, if, if, it's, if it's not within um, our area of speciality or um, expertise or focus or even interest, you know, because again, that's going to that's gonna affect how we um, interact and build a relationship with the patient, depending on um, how we per perceive things and also what we think about it. And I think that at, at that point, it's great to say, well, listen, um, I have a patient here, you know, I know that I can work on the one component and I can help them and, and guide and coach them through the process. But I think getting another clinician on board, you know, to help me help the patient, you know, I, I think that's where it, where it almost comes in. And again, it, it's like I said, it, because there's multiple components, right? They, there's a, a nice model that they call the biopsychosocial model. I know we, we've spoken about that previously. You know, we touched on that. Um, I think that that pretty much summarizes, you know, we have the, the bio aspect, which is the person, you know, the biomechanical model, the biomedical model. You have the psych psychological aspect to it. And um, you have the social aspect to it, you know. So you have all of these, these different components and they are interlinked. So how would you expect, you know, your healthcare um, clinicians or, or um, let's say healthcare professionals to not be interlinked as well? Um, as, as the components are. I, I don't know, what do you think about that? I, I think um, I, I would be interested to hear what your opinion is. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of the times um, we tend to think of our jobs. Um, I have a job to do as a dietitian, or you have a job to do as a biomedicist, and you think about um, how to do that job well. Yeah. But in order for me to do my job well, I need to know what is happening in the other spheres of healthcare in that athlete. So, yeah, let my, my area of speciality is athletes, right? So yeah. if we're going to talk about athlete care and um, say we have an injured athlete, I need to know what rehab you are doing and what interventions you are putting in place <clears throat> to help that athlete get back to play. And then I need to have correspondent nutrition practices to help that athlete support that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I say nutrition is basically like the foundation supporting mechanism of what happens in like biokinetics and coaching and all those things <clears throat> in terms of training. So without knowing what you are doing, I only have half of the picture. So I can only do half of my job. So in that same way, you need to know what energy and what fuel is going into the tank so that that athlete can actually perform. And yeah. I think a very, very important word that we need to use here is scope of practice, um, because it's so easy to go and blur the lines of scope of practice. I am not a biokineticist. I, I'm, it's not my job to prescribe exercise. It's your job to prescribe exercise. And I think, yeah. um, especially with something like nutrition, everyone eats so everyone is an expert in nutrition um, and that's one of the problems you sometimes get um, right. and we do have extensive training in medical nutrition therapy in clinical therapy in nutrition and it's useful to have those tools and if you have those tools by working together with other people why not use it because yeah. at the end of the day all of us in healthcare is, are passionate about 
helping our, our uh, clients or our patients to actually succeed. And we do that by building relationships. We do that by working in a team with other professionals. And it's just more fun. It's just yeah. more fun <laughs> to actually collaborate with other professionals. And it's different perspectives. Like I view a certain problem from a nutritional point of view. I put on my nutrition glasses and I say, okay, you know, I'm looking at this. Then you go and you put on your biokinetic glasses and you're like, oh, but let's look at the problem from this angle. And it, it, it allows you to evolve. It allows you to um, problem solve in a different way. And I think it makes the whole process just more enriching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. And I, you know, I think it also, you know, if, if, if each one of our professions, you know, if, if we try to be king of the hill on our own, you know, we we almost, we, we set up these these mini towers for ourselves and we, we try to stay isolated and we're losing out on, you know, the, the value we can add towards a patient or client or an athlete or whoever, whoever it is, you know, and, and again, it fits in with at the end of the day, what's our agenda, you know, mm-hmm. is it to, to be the base that we can be for the patient, be, being that we need to be collaborative in our treatment manner, um, if that's our goal, then we we do need to have this this interdisciplinary relationship, you know, and we, which is which also is, is good to see that there's more and more research on this, right? Where we see more and more clinicians from different um, health professions that having a different scope of practice, which is important, like you said, you know, we each have our own scope of practice. It doesn't mean that we can't work together. You know, we don't have to blur the lines or move into each other's scope of practice to work together. Um, we can just collaborate, you know, and, and that that can be a great way to to help any patient in in, in their road towards like a, a better health and and well being. Yeah, no, definitely, and yeah, I think especially in uh, a lot of allied fields, we tend to want to advocate for our professions, and we should. We definitely yeah. should, because I think in each of us, uh, each of our professions, there's misconceptions around what we actually do. Um, for example, there's misconceptions about what is a dietitian versus a nutritionist. Um, and a lot of time and effort we put into saying, okay, why, why choose a dietitian from a healthcare center point, point of view? Why choose a dietitian um, that's going to look at more than just you know, your nutrition, but also health parameters, also biochemical markers, all those yeah. type of things. Um, but also, the whole is more than like the this, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. It's about yeah. we are all one mechanism, and I think if different professions started advocating for each other, we would be a lot stronger in our healthcare system. And that actually brings me to something that you and I also talked extensively about, because as I was talking about, there's misconceptions between the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. I think you guys have a lot of the same problem with, for example, personal trainers versus a biokineticist. And a lot of people mistake a biokineticist for a personal trainer. So would you mind just explaining what is the difference between the two? What is the scope of the two? Because I do believe there's a place for them, just like I believe there's a place for nutritionists. And I do believe there's a place for general advice on nutrition. I mean, there's enough for everyone. But Yeah. yeah, just elaborate for that about what do you what do you do that's different yeah yeah what what, what is a what i think the the, the 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 first question probably you know that i get a lot is what is a biokineticist you know um it's 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 definitely something that pops up frequently and the, I would say the easiest way to to explain the profession of biokinetics is um it's a healthcare profession you know, so we, we register healthcare workers we have to undergo an undergraduate degree have to do a postgraduate honors we have to do an internship um, it, you know, it, it takes a good four to, to six years to qualify. We registered with the HPCSA. 
Um, and we are uh, we, we medical professionals, right? So we use exercise and physical activity to improve health and well-being, be it to prevent or to treat certain diseases, be it chronic, be it injury, musculoskeletal based, things like, you know, imagine like an ACL tear, knee pain, shoulder pain, um, lower back pain, all of those different variables. Um, so that, that's more or less a, a summary of what biokinetics is. And I think where um, the, the, the difficulty between the various professions within exercise and, and physical activity, you know, say be it um, physiotherapists, biokineticists, um, personal trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, um, sports scientists, you have so many different professions that have access to this, I want to say, call it like a giant toolbox, which is exercise and physical activity, right? We can all, you know, take tools out of this toolbox and use it for various different uh, methods and, and, and reasons. And uh, where the, I want to say the confusion comes in with specifically to personal trainers is because, you know, if, if, if you see someone perform exercises or you see someone, you know, coach someone perform exercises, um, it can look very similar, right? For example, a personal trainer might use the same exercises that a biokineticist would, you know, it might ex look exactly the same, but it can, you know, the, the, the I want to say that you're kind of looking at the tip of the iceberg, you know, um, if you have to, to, you have to take a step back to try and really assess what what is the main difference. And usually, where the difference comes in, it's related to the application thereof. So, for example, your personal trainer might work more with, I want to say, call it clients who are generally healthy and they don't have a significant health issue or let's say a lot of barriers towards exercise and physical activity. Um, and they're relatively okay to exercise. They've been cleared by the medical doctor. And um, you know, they just want to improve their health and well-being. And a personal trainer is definitely more than than qualified to, to do that, you know, and you have great personal trainers who do a lot with exercise and I think who, who achieves a lot. Um, with regards to the biokineticist side, um, where that, that background in health and, 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 and the medical-based background comes in is, you know, looking for things like red flags, you know, trying to identify um, certain diseases, or, or especially because we, we, we work with disease prevention as well through exercise, right? So you can imagine screening for things um, you know, during a consultation, during an assessment, making sure that, you know, is this patient in front of me a risk for certain cardiovascular issues, you know, is this new onset of pain something that can be treated with exercise and, and physical activity, or is it necessary to refer out? So there's definitely, you know, um, I want to call it like a, a bit of triage in the whole setup of biokinetics because we need to screen individuals that come to us, we need to work with them and to see, well, is physical activity and exercise going to be a good option for them, you know? Um, taking into account, you know, any any medical problems or concerns they may have, um, and if it can be applicable to that. Where I think personal trainers, you know, they also have a, a bit of a health screening that they do, but they don't have the background as to how do I, you know, differentiate all these different conditions and how can I, you know, change my approach using exercise um, to work with this patient. Because obviously, there's also risk risks involved with it. You know, we know that. No treatment modality is risk-free. And that's also where a biokinesis training is very important to understand what is the risk associated with this condition and with exercise. And how do I ensure that whatever I do um, is still within, you know, it, the reward should weigh up against the risk. You know, it, it shouldn't just be um, throwing exercise as a, as a panacea to, to all the problems in the world, which I think is, is, is can, can also be an, an issue. And I think that's where the speciality of biokinesis on exercise is important. You know, taking all of the variables into account and really focusing on right, how do I take this and make it patient specific? Um, you know, it's, it's not not using like a template-based system or I want to, you know, having like a 12-week workout or, or something like that, but rather taking, well, I have this patient in front of me, um, I'm looking at certain metrics, you know, I do baseline, baseline testing, I have my exclusion criteria, and then we take it step by step and we see what happens, you know, and we also monitoring health market, you know, as you said, 
you take a look at chemical markers or biochemical markers, um, similar to this, you know, are they recovering? What is their heart rate doing? What is their blood pressure like? So there's a big medical aspect to it. And I think, you know, it's, you know, studying and, and, and having that clinical reasoning, which is also important, you know, being in, involved, you know, during the course of biokinetics, you need to do research, you know, you need to be involved in, in clinical appraisal of studies and things like that. And that clinical reasoning is important, you know, because it, it teaches you to also stay up to date with what is happening around you um, in terms of research and, and things that, as we spoke, you know, initially about the changing philosophy, I think that's also important. So it's a, it's a, it's a long answer to a, to a, almost like a short conclusion as there is a big difference. And obviously the, the misconception <laughs> firstly is, you know, um, we all, all of us use exercise. And I think that that's the, 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 the big issue usually is um, it's, it's, it's difficult for most people to differentiate as it's exercise, you know, but again, exercise in itself is not just exercise. It's almost like saying, you know, um, to be healthy, eat less calories. Is it as simple as eating less calories? Most likely not. And it's the same thing with exercise. Is it as simple as saying just do exercise? Unfortunately not. And that's why we have this specific focus in the profession. Yeah, no, and I think once again, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance in the profession. And yeah. yeah, you have to know when it's necessary. It's not always necessary, but I think each person can actually benefit somewhere in their lifespan from working with a biogeneticist and just having a thorough assessment to see clinically what is going to be good for me in terms of exercise and in terms of health and disease prevention and or disease treatment um, yeah. for different diseases like and when we talk about diseases we're not just talking about something like cancer or diabetes or hypertension so just for an idea what kind of diseases do you actually work with or what kind of yeah diseases injuries um that you didn't already mention, like people always think, oh, when I have an ACL tear or just a traditional sports injury. But beyond yeah. that, what do you work with? So like you mentioned now, like all of, all of your chronic diseases, you know, things like hypertension, um, diabetes, um, you know, any of those that fit in, in those categories. Um, things like, I mean, obviously we spoke about cardiovascular, pulmonary related diseases. Um, any, you know, obviously exercise plays an important role in, in mental health. Um, that, that, that can be an important component um, in terms of like musculoskeletal injuries. Um, you know, most things you can think of, you know, where exercise and physical activity can have a role, things like lower back pain, knee pain. Um, I would also say that also like links up to your whole strength and conditioning and, and um, I want to say return to sport type of type of, um, I want to say, let's say application as to what, what do you need to achieve, right? So a biokineticist can tailor make exercise and physical activity towards treatment or prevention, as, as you've stated. So um, it's a very, uh, I want to say, a broad application. You know, there, there's a lot there's a lot you can do because exercise is such a, um, a, a non-invasive um, procedure, right? It's the, the risk to it is very low compared to a lot of other procedures. Um, it's, it's something that most people have access to. You know, I mean, exercise is not just being in a gym, you know, performing things with certain equipment or, or highly specialized equipment. It can be really basic. Um, it can be something that, you know, we can use to empower a lot of people with, you know, think think of people struggling with things like osteoarthritis or, you know, um, things like sarcopenia and, and uh, I want to say the, the, the geriatric population specifically, where um, exercise can play an important role in preserving, you know, the amount of muscle mass and, and the quality of life they have. So it depends on how you want to use it. So again, I, I don't want to say that exercise is the one fixed solution for everything, you know, that that's definitely... Um, not 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 the the reason behind what what I'm saying, but it's a it's a good tool that we can use again to address a certain component of health and well-being. 
Um, and I think it's 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 how we use it and how we like you see, you know the, the the nuance behind it is very very important. Um, I think sometimes the narrative behind exercise can either be a facilitator or a barrier as well. So I think it, it, that's why I say if, if you have a, you know something that bothers you or concern, be it health or just you know general wellness related, it's always good to have a chat with someone you know that can use exercise, be it a bio or physiotherapist or whatever it is, and um, to see how it can be used in your in your journey. Because again, you know, it's 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 um there is some nuance to it. So taking all of the specific variables into account to see is exercise a viable option for you, um that's probably likely the best. But I, I think I answered your question. I'm not sure. I, I, I've been rambling off a bit. So it's exercise. You know, it's something I'm passionate about. So sometimes I get stuck in this rabbit hole where I just start to like delve into exercise and what it is. And <laughs> no, it's 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 good. It's perfect. And that's one of the things that I love with working with other healthcare professionals is we are all very, very passionate about what we do. And that's actually leading to the next topic that I want to talk about. You are one of the most passionate buyers I've ever met, but I think this is born a lot of the times from our own story. So what actually motivated you to become a bio? Why are you passionate about your profession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's a great question. So initially, I um, before I, I went to university, I was contemplating studying medicine. Um, it's, it's, you know, being in, in, a, in a medically, well, being in a, in a medical profession has been something that I've been pondering, you know, for, for a long time and, and, and early into high school. And, um, you know, I, I think a, a big thing for me is my, my fear of blood and needles and, and, and all the gory stuff. So that, that probably played a role in, in not going the medical route. But nonetheless, I, um, you know, I, I chose to, to go into a musculoskeletal based, you know, um, exercise therapy um, degree or, or I want to say profession as I personally underwent like a big struggle with wrist injuries, you know, both of my wrists, um, I had a pretty significant wrist injury and it prevented me from exercising and, and, and doing the things I enjoy, right? And to me, that was a, a big thing because obviously, you know, I, I found a bit of my identity in exercise when I, was, when I was young and was in high school and all of a sudden that gets taken away from you, you know, be it from an injury or, or whatever happens, that can have a, a pretty significant impact. And um, I went through the whole process, you know, of, of, of visiting, visiting a general practitioner, visiting a physiotherapist, visiting a, a um, sports medicine doctor. And I had this whole journey, you know, um, where I didn't really get the resolve I, I wanted and I didn't really enjoy the process. And I think, you know, that kind of sparked something in me that said, you know, well, is is, is this what it should be? You know, if, if, um, why am I not, you know, getting the help that I think I need? Or why am I not, you know, getting, getting a professional or a clinician that is assisting me to work on my specific goals? And that to me was a big thing, you know. Um, if, if, for example, I wanted to get back to barbell-based training or weight training or whatever it is, you know, and a lot of the times that, you know, some of the clinicians told me that, listen, you might not be able to bench press again, you know, or you might not be able to do a chin-up or whatever it is. And it was something that didn't um, stood well, that didn't stand well with me. You know, it wasn't something that I, I could accept at that time. And I think now that's more or less, but also like sparked the whole movement optimism and using exercise as therapy thing as, um, you know, I, I think... It, it, creating those barriers, you know, for example, telling your patient that you can't do this ever again, or you, you know, this is going to be a limitation or putting, putting those words into your patient's mind is, is sometimes a, a big issue, you know, and that, that's why for me, you know, I had the whole thing where I had no optimism to move, you know, I was, I was almost developing like a bit of a kinesiophobia thing where I was afraid to do these movements, you know, because I knew that, oh, my wrist is going to hurt, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. Um, and at the end of the day, and maybe all I needed, you know, was after my having a good diagnosis, you know, following treatment, allowing healing to take place, 
and then maybe I just needed someone to work with to take me through the process, you know, to help me understand that, you know, exercise and physical activity is safe. It can be used for this, you know, we can approach it in this manner. Maybe you need some some specific things here. Um, but that's more or less the, the gap that I needed in, in, in my treatment. And I think that's what I'm trying to fill now. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be the, the clinician that I, that I was looking for um, in, in those days. And that's more or less where, why I am where I, where I am today in terms of using exercise and physical activity. Um, I know that, that you told me that your story um, you know, is, is, is almost similar with regards to you know, trying to fill the gap that you, that you needed you know, at some point of your life. Um, so that's it's I think that's also why we resonate well with regards to you know the our approaches and and and, and how we experience healthcare in general in general. Yeah, so for those um, who don't know my story, it um, it was actually insane when Jan and I um, shared our stories because we were like, oh, we are really very similar, and the reason we got into these professions are so similar, even though it's two different professions. So for me, I struggled with relative energy deficiency in sport and low bone density and osteopenia and um, a lot of consequences related to beds. Um, and I really struggled. Yo, they, they weren't, they just weren't enough information out there about what's going on with me. And I went to a lot of doctors, got put on the pill and which was basically like a bandaid. Um, I did visit a few nutritionists and uh, you know, you, you, you really try along the way to find the solutions. And I don't think that clients don't try hard enough to reach a certain goal and a certain outcome. Yeah. But I do think that having, having knowledge about A, what is going on, and B, like you said, a systematic process to get you from where you are to where you need to be um, yeah. is so vital. And and that behavior change that goes along with it because something like exercise something like nutrition is both behavior change um, yeah. and it's both something that you need to do every day to actually get the outcome that you want and it's really about quality of life and it's really about so much more than just the surface level oh i eat healthy or i exercise it's about so much more it's an all-encompassing thing about mental health physical health, what is actually happening when you're in that moment of injury and in that moment of suffering. And um, yeah, it took me my four years of studying dietetics to figure out how to get out of race, how to actually get my cycle back, get my bone density back. And now I'm advocating for young athletes and doing my master's research for young athletes to develop young athletes into more resilient senior athletes, because I'm, I keep on thinking if I had access to more knowledge, more tools as a young athlete, I would have been yeah. in a completely different place as an athlete. Um, and even though there's a little bit of sadness that goes along with that time that I think if I had other help, I might have gotten out of it a lot quicker. It made me the practitioner I am today. And yeah. like you just said, I love what you just said. You become the practitioner you would have wanted at a certain time when you were struggling as an athlete or as a yeah even as just a patient, even if you're not necessarily going into sport. And that gives you an extra level of purpose and an extra level of passion. And I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of the struggles that I went through. And I think you can say the same because yeah. now when a client comes to you or when a patient comes to you with a problem, even though it's not necessarily the same type of problem, you have a lot more empathy and sympathy because you can see, okay, you are not necessarily where you want to be. Maybe you're in a place of struggle. I was yeah. in a place of struggle. 
let's go through this journey together. Let's be in a team and let's figure this thing out. And this figuring this thing out is looking different for each person. Yeah. If you as a practitioner need to be able to lean into that discomfort with them and find what that process will be. There's no roadmap, there's no blueprint for getting an athlete from point A to point B. Each person has their own blueprint. What being a healthcare practitioner gives us is the ability to know how to get that person from point A to point B and get a roadmap for them. Yeah. Um, and I think that we that we should lean into that as a superpower. It's our superpower as healthcare professionals. And I think our stories, just like, and thank you for your vulnerability and just sharing the struggles that you had, putting your yeah. identity into your sport. I think it's such a common thing. It's such a common thing that's not spoken about enough is we get wrapped up on our identities and our worth in our sporting performance. And once that's taken away, we need to ask ourselves, oh, what, what, who am I without my yeah. sport? And as a practitioner, we, we, we get that with our clients as well. And we see that with them. And we need to be able to show up for them in that space and show them you are worthy as a person because of who you am and you have the resilience to get through this. And that is what, that's what patient care means to me as well. Um, and yeah, that brings also brings us to how you actually do your profession. Because yeah. um, once again, that was one of the things that we resonated on. Um, we talked about how do we actually do this? How do we actually get our client from point A to point B? And how do we integrate into their lives on a more consistent basis? Because yeah. one thing that you also feel passionate about, and you're going to talk about this in a moment, is just seeing someone once a month and then sending them into the wide world is not enough. But to you, what's the alternative? How do you bring your services into the into your clients' lives on a more consistent basis? Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, um, if, if the, the the model we used to, you know, in terms of, of treatment and working with the multiple different types of healthcare professionals, or you know, a, a a infrequent visit model, right? So you go to see your physiotherapist or whoever it is, you know, maybe once once a month, like you said, or for one visit. And, and that's it, you know, and, and you, you have all of this information to deal with as a patient, you know, and how do you take that going forward? And um, what, what, how does that affect your compliance as to, you know, doing what you were told or, um, you know, the program you were given and achieving the end result? And I think that's one of the, the things that bothered me the most is um, we expect our patients to, to use all of this information and to reach success, right? But again, what is the level of support they have to, to achieve that? Um, you know, you spoke about behavior change, which I think is a very important component to things like exercise and, and, and nutrition and, and diet, obviously, because it's um, it's a long term thing. You know, it's not a I do the one thing one day and I, it's it's gone forever. It doesn't work like that. Um, so there is a big behavior change model to it. And I think, you know, if, if we my my whole idea and goal behind this is if we can be a collaborative partner and you, you spoke about collaboration, you know, trying to build this blueprint for your patient. Each patient is unique. They all have their own blueprint and you're trying to achieve that end goal. Right. And what does that look like? Um, and for me, you know, that that kind of looks like a collaborative process where you have your you have your patient and your clinician, you know, and, and they working together 
It's not that the clinician is there to fix the patient necessarily. I don't want to. I don't want to use the, the, the term fix because again, I I think we if if we move away from the idea that that the, you know a human or a person is something that breaks down like a car, you know, that needs fixing. Um, I, I don't like to use that type of narrative when we speak about things like this. So I think if we we stick to like the collaborative um, format where the clinician is almost like a guide, you know, you you know, health and, and, and wellness is not a clear cut endpoint. You know, it's not the absence of all pain and all disease and all of these different challenges we we, we have in life, but rather it's trying to improve quality of life, right? To to see how can we use um, the things that we have at hand, the tools we have to help this patient, you know, to empower them to firstly reach their goals, you know, um, to have a, a happy and, and, and healthy life and to also have a good quality of life. So to me, what it looks like, you know, you, I mean, obviously you, you have your, your consultation and you have your, um, you know, your setup with your patient where you work with them, you set goals, you have your baseline testing and results and things that you need to, 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 um, to use to inform you along the process. But again, now you have this, this I want to say, more frequent um, interaction with your patient. And that's why I like the, the, the telehealth model a lot. You know, um, It allows you to, to stay in touch with your patient, to have frequent feedback. And from an, an exercise and physical activity point of view, um, there's so many different applications and, and platforms we can use these days to, to build this kind of, of, of frequent touch relationship, you know, where you, you, you had a, have a, cons, um, a consultation with your patient and you start to build this, this blueprint, right, with exercise, with different aspects. And if, if, if you can have them on a platform where you can work with them, um, you know, and they can stay in touch with you, um, that can really help your compliance, you know, because then you know, for example, maybe the things we spoke about in, on the first day, you know, by week two or week three or even week one, it just isn't lining up with the time availability or their schedule, you know, or maybe it's it's something that that's a barrier in the environment. Maybe they don't have the equipment. Maybe they don't have this. Maybe they don't understand this, you know. Um, and if we can we can limit some of these barriers, you know. And it, again, barriers are also something that changes. You know, we don't have a set amount of barriers, and it's only that it never changes. You know, as you move through different seasons in your of your life, you know, your barriers and and, and the things that, that bother you do do obviously change with that. So I think that the, the main like thing behind what I, what I'm trying to to get to is um, I, I want to move away from the the one consultation you're providing a fix and, and that's it and rather move towards a collaborative coach guide type of setup where you work with your patient you know you have your blueprint it's something that's adaptive you know as as your patient adapts the blueprint can adapt and you you kind of guide them through the process to ensure that we have a good level of compliance. Um, and we we actually reach those end goals. You know, it's it's um it's it's like a brick by brick process, and we should be there to help our patients. You know, brick by brick, going on the the road that they are at, and not just you know meeting them at the start and at the finish. Um, because again, what happens along the way, I think that's that's probably the the most important part of the journey. Yeah, and I think that compliance is everything. You can have the perfect plan. You can have the most scientific way of achieving it but if there's not compliance there's not going to be results and what is sad sometimes to see is how much people blame themselves for not being compliant enough i didn't have enough discipline i didn't have enough uh you know i didn't do enough to actually get myself healthy again and it's like they, they think it's their fault, right? You know, yeah, saying, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it's, it's my fault that I have back pain, or it's my fault that I'm I'm failing at my diet, and that, yeah, I think that's what you what you're saying. So, so you experience that as well? Is that something that you also see? Oh, okay, I, I'm so glad it's not just me. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the thing is, yes, I do get it. Um, but 
you know what? We are human beings with real world problems. You are not just a human being who eats. You are maybe a dad with a company and you have to think of 10 other things. So obviously nutrition is not always going to be your number one priority. Training is not going to be your number one priority. Or you may be a single mom who has to take care of the kids and clean and provide. Or you're a busy student who actually have to pass and actually have to, you know, have a life and a social life. And, you know, there are no one person is only eating and training. And yeah. a lot of the times when you go on social media and you see fitness accounts, they only show that one aspect of their life. You see them yeah. training and you see them eating. You don't see, you don't see when they are going something tough in their relationships and they are crying and they are going for something that's going to be comforting and they yeah. skip the workout. You don't see that. And, uh, you know, for me, I know, uh, I know that, yes, everyone is responsible for themselves. But for me, if you're working with me as a practitioner, my job is to support you through life. Because yeah. if, if, I'm, if I'm not set up to do that, if I'm not set up to actually help you through the problems you have in your life, how good am I actually at what I'm doing? Because I can't just set you up for an ideal world. I can't set yeah. you up for everything is going to work. Here is a 1,500 calorie diet. Go out into the world and do it. Yeah. Because there's so many variables going into that. Not, not even speaking about the fact that your energy needs is going to be fluctuating throughout the day. Um, yeah. And that is, once again, one of the things that you and I resonated off immediately was, oh, integration into our client's life more frequent integration and what does that look like at the end of the day in 2022 is tech is yeah. online things and is online platforms and virtual platforms and i think covid actually like really accelerated that model yeah. a lot which is great and i do like in person i do like seeing people in person but i do think it has limitations that we can bridge with tech um and for when when i first talk, spoke to you i had this misconception that you can't really do that with biokinetics you can't really do that with training like i understood from a dietetics point of view because you know i i don't need to be there when you eat i don't need to be there yeah. to see how you eat but in some situations i thought oh a biokineticist need to be there to assess the form um, you know, all those type of things. Like, how do you do that online? So could you just speak to that? Like, how do you, if I was an athlete with an injury and you needed to check my form or, you know, what would it look like in a session for you to integrate into my life virtually? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. So obviously, you know, telehealth has its own benefits and and, and, and I want to say limitations to it as, as with any type of treatment and, and modality we do. Um, I, th I think with, if, if you if you take a look at like biokineticism, exercise and physical activity as a treatment method, and you try to connect that to exercise, uh, to, to telehealth, sorry, not to exercise. Um, it's uh, the the way to look at it is you know it's it's almost similar to the, the way you were doing something in person, right? So you can still have a you know if you're a patient, you're sitting in a room and you have your laptop or your phone set up and your camera is on, you're using Zoom or whichever platform your clinician is using. Um, you can do 99% of the things, you know, that doesn't require touch. So, for example, you can still take a look at your things like range of motion, you know, um, think of things like touching your toes or doing upper body rotation or, you know, assessing the shoulder, 
um, so that you, you can still do a lot of different things. Um, it's, it's not a big limitation with regards to that type of analysis. You know, you can still take a look at someone's gait and how they walk. Um, there's a possibility of recording certain things. You know, you can have um, someone record a movement. You know, if, if you want to assess, uh, for example, how a patient does a squat or a deadlift or any type of movement, it's something that can be recorded, you know, and sometimes what is good from telehealth is you can have it from multiple different angles and you can have it to watch again, you know. Um, obviously, you know, there's always obviously some subjective bias when we do certain when we view certain movements or exercises in person, and it's a it's like a blink, you know, and it's gone. You don't see it again. Whereas if we have a recording of it, you know, it can be a great way to also monitor progress. For example, you know, if you have a recording from your initial assessment, um, maybe towards a follow up or a, I want to say closer to your end goal. I mean, there's an objective way for you to take a look at, you know, did something actually change the way you were moving or um, the confidence you had while you were moving or, or things like that. So I think for, that's like the, the first component to it. You can still do a lot. Um, for me, the, the one thing that I, I do think is, is sometimes good about telehealth is it really focuses on, on patient relationship building, right? And I think that's an important part of behavior change theory. As when you can't, you know, I want to say you, you can't apply things, you know, or, um, let, let's take things like um, massage and mobilizations or, or things like that. When, when those type of modalities are, are out of the picture, and I'm not saying that those are bad modalities or this will never be used, it's not at all the point I'm trying to make, but um, if we remove those modalities, you know, and, and you, you on a telehealth platform um, and you can't do that, what, what, what can you do? So you really need to work on building the relationship with your patient. You really need to focus on goal setting, understanding, you know, where are they coming from, you know, and what do they need, that, what do they need to happen? And I think if we focus sometimes on, on, on those specific things, it can really help us with our exercise of physical activity prescription. Because like you mentioned now, you know, nothing happens, you know, we, you don't just exercise and, and, and eat, you know, there's all of these different components. And if we know what's happening outside of, of, of that 45 or even 30 minute session that someone has access to to exercise, that can really tell us more about the story, you know, and then you learn more about what could be influencing, you know, the specific patient, you know, be it from a a pain or a health um, condition or whatever it is that you're trying to assess. So I think it has a lot of benefits, um, but you, you can still do a, a, a great assessment online. I don't think it should be seen as a limitation. I think the, the benefits to it actually, you know, outweigh any any negative connotation to it. And I think what's also important is it, it uh, takes some of the barriers out of the equation, you know, things like having to drive to your clinician, um, having to, you know, you know, depending on, on where your clinician is, do you have a a biokineticist or whoever might might be practicing telehealth, is there someone close to you? Um, that that can sometimes be a barrier, you know. So being able to do it online is is definitely helpful. Um, it can also put you in like your own safe space, which I think is also important. Um, you know, sometimes when we you go to a, for example, for myself, if I go to a doctor's office and I have a consultation or have blood drawn or something like that, I usually am very very stressed. I don't know why it's like white coat syndrome, if I can call it that. Um, and I think sometimes being your like your own safe space can be useful because um, then you might open up a bit more, you know. So there's definitely a lot of different variables to it. And I'm by no means a, a, a specialist in, 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 in telehealth. And I think, you know, it's a, I think having humility through whatever you do is, is, is always great. And I think there's a lot to learn. But I'm excited, you know, for, for what telehealth, you know, holds for the future. And I think we can really change a lot of patients' lives using it, you know, and seeing tech as a, as a valuable option. And I don't think that it means that the in-person setup, you know, should fall away. I think it's great to have clinicians that focus on different sex, sex, um, segments to it. And I think if we look at it that, you know, we, we, we encouraging more people to see more different clinicians, 
um, because they have access to different, uh, I want to say, different options to see them. And I think there's a, a segment of the market that really enjoy the in-person touch, you know, going to a practice, working with someone. But there's also a big segment that enjoys the telehealth option. And why can't we cater for both, you know, and why can't we give patients the option? Because, again, what are we trying to achieve? We want to achieve our patient's agenda. And, and the best way that we can do that is to do what they feel comfortable with. So that, that's kind of my stance on telehealth. Yeah, and I want one benefit that telehealth also has. We spoke about collaboration between yeah. healthcare professionals. Um, you and I would not have met if it wasn't for online platforms, right? And the traditional model of being in a specific practice and working with other healthcare professionals around you is great. It is great referral-wise, and you get to really get to know, say, you have a practice with a doctor and a physio and a bio, you really get to know those people. But many of the clients that come to you may have other professionals that they do work with. Um, so say I work with 10 athletes, they may have 10 different bios. One thing that a virtual option do sometimes offer is to integrate your services a bit with those people as well. Um, maybe through collaboration in a Zoom call, like you and, this, you and the patient and the patient's bio can sit, well, me as a dietitian, and the patient and the patient's bio can sit and we can have a roundtable discussion this way. Um, so I think it opens up the doors for collaboration as well, directly and indirectly. Um, and you get to know a lot bigger range of professionals and a lot bigger range of people from different places as well. And I think, like you said, one barrier to healthcare sometimes is access to a practitioner. And for me, I always think not every practitioner is meant for every client. I am not every client's ideal dietitian and that's okay. Um, each person needs to have the choice of practitioner that's going to benefit them. If you do not resonate with my way of treatment or my way of care, then we can refer you to someone else who might be willing to do it in a way that's more authentic to you. Um, and that is your freedom as a client. And I think that having other options besides just the people in your direct area is beneficial because it's not always practical to drive far. Once again, driving far to, to see what someone can be a barrier to see them often and can be a barrier to eventually that compliance. Um, and I think that's what telehealth gives you is that freedom of choice. Um, do I find a practitioner that aligns with what I need as an athlete or I, I need as a client or I need as a patient? So yeah, that's my take on it as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's great points you mentioned. And again, it's just having options, you know. Um, it's not to say that one is better than the other, you know, for, for various different reasons. I think that sometimes that's what we, we see, you know, when, when we have these types of discussions, um, I don't think it should be seen as an attack on like any, you know, standard of care or um, the standard approach. I think it's just another option, you know. And I think at the end of the day, everyone just wants to develop, you know, healthcare as a whole. And like you said, you know, advocating for your profession is important and it's advocating for how you, how you, um, you know, you can help someone through different modalities, you know, is, is also important. And like you said, now, at the end of the day, you, you know, as a patient, you have the, the choice, you know, which, which is very important. So now you have more choices and the one that resonates with you, you know, like you said, if, if the approach of telehealth or the approach of this is not something that you as a patient feel is going to fit your lifestyle, your needs and get you towards your end goal, then that's also okay, you know, and there 
are other clinicians that you can work with. And I think that, again, that, that's important just to, to say that, you know, there, there's options for, for patients these days. And I think that's, that's awesome. You know, we, we're really developing something that, that allows more people to, to get healthcare, and which, which is at the end of the day also, also a goal, you know, to, to get more people to, and from, from the, the two approaches we have, you know, I mean, you have the, the, the lifestyle and, and, and nutrition aspect, which I think, which I think is important because um, we know that nutrition is a, is a major role player in um, general health and well-being. We also know the same for exercise. Um, and the more options we can give to people in those two spheres, the better. And the more that we can collaborate, you know, um, with other healthcare professionals, you know, who might not be focusing or, or, or have, I want to say, have, call it their speciality in these in these two type of fields, the better, because then we can also assist them in ensuring that the patient outcomes improve. Yeah. So to wrap up, I uh, have la one last question for you. So yeah. what is one funny assumption that people make about a biokineticist um, that's kind of a myth that you need to bust? Um, so one or two, but the top one. Okay, so the top myth of a biokineticist. And I think, I, I don't think if I would phrase it as a myth of, a, of a, what a biokineticist does or specific to biokineticist. Maybe I would rather phrase it as a, um, let's say, like with regards to exercise and physical activity, like a, a big myth, you know, with regards to that. I would say the, the, the biggest myth, I think, is that there are certain exercises or movements that are dangerous or inherently harmful. Um, I think it's a, it's a big barrier, you know. We, so that's, I want to say it's a funny myth, but it's definitely a myth as to, you know, that, that there's this um, idea that certain movements are bad or, you know, scary or, you know, wear and tear down the body and, and things like that. And there's there's loads of examples, you know, if you go on Instagram or TikTok or whichever social media platform, you'll see lots of exercises with red crosses drawn over them, you know, um, you should stay away from them, don't ever do them, you know, it's like, it's very, very dangerous. And I think that's that's like a big myth, you know, it's, um the body is very, very adaptive, you know, again, movement optimism, you know, we can we can swing back, swing back to that. Um, the body adapts to a lot of different demands, you know, um, as you can, you know, um, learn certain sports, you can learn to do certain movements, you can do them safely, you can load them safely, and they can form a part of, of, of your, your like exercise and, and physical activity routine. So that's the main myth, I think, is that, you know, you have this dangerous and good movement, you have like movements that fix everything. I think that type of, of, of myth is, is important to, to address. So that's, that's probably my, my number one myth, myth to, 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 towards that. But I think, um, again, as you, as you asked me the myth, I would like to know, you know, like a nutrition aspect and, and, and dietitian. Um, there's loads of, of things that pop to my mind when I think about, you know, nutrition and, and, and diet, what a dietitian does and what the myths are. I mean, I can just go on social media now and look at all the different like dietary aspects and what people say and they don't say. But what would be the, 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 the number one myth that you would like to, to address? You know, if, if you had the platform, you had a, a mini TED talk, you know, Hanley does TED talk for like diet, <laughs> nutrition myths. What would be the first thing you want to address? Oh goodness! Oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, I'm being I'm being prepped here on my on my podcast. Ask questions on my podcast. I think the biggest one is, as a dietitian, I only teach people to lose weight, and I give meal plans for life. Um, I think that's a myth that people think. If people meet me, okay, at is, is that not what you do? <laughs> no, I, yo yo yo. I think I think we should schedule a, a podcast about what does a dietitian do. <laughs> Um, but but seriously though, people people think I just tell people to lose weight. Another one is I'm the food police. Like 
it's it's the weirdest thing to go to a restaurant with friends or family and the topic comes up of you are you a dietitian because suddenly everyone around you is self-conscious about what they're eating and they're like oh you know um yes i'm being naughty today so i'm eating this or they think you should judge them or or they think you should be eating something that's healthy so if i order a burger and they're like oh are you sure you want to eat that burger you're a dietitian and then i'm like yes i am very sure <laughs> um so yeah i think that's the biggest myth is like and we are very black and white about nutrition, which we're not. I think the more you learn about the nutrition, the less black and white you become because you realize yeah. there's so much nuance to it. Um, and it's actually very similar also to what you just said, like this good movement versus bad movement. <laughs> it's the same with food, like this good food versus bad food. Um, you know, you can have a bad food and eat it in moderation and it's not going to have a bad impact on your health. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, your overall diet matters and what you do on a 24 hour, a 48 hour, a week, a month, a year matters a lot more than one choice. Yeah. But once again, it doesn't make that good social media though. Uh, hey, balance is <laughs> yeah. key is a lot less interesting than do not ever eat something with high fructose levels or yeah, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like, that, that sounds buzzword or sciencey. Um, a lot of the times people throw around sciencey terms to either scare people to sound smart or and they don't really elaborate what does that really mean because yeah. maybe they don't know they it, you know it's never as simple as that and people believe it because it sounds sciencey and yeah. Just because something sounds sciencey, it doesn't mean it is actually facts. And yeah. I think that's exactly the same with training and exercise, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's it's um the, the boring stuff doesn't sell necessarily. You know, it's um it, it wouldn't it wouldn't get a lot of likes and responses if you were to tell everyone that listen, um you know most movements are, are pretty okay to do. You know, and and as long as you do them progressively and you work up to something, you know, and it's a gradual exposure. Um, you know, even though it makes sense, it, like you said, it doesn't, you know, sell as much, you know, unfortunately, we we tend to look for these outlier things, you know, there must be something I'm missing, I have to be missing this exercise, or I have to probably be doing this wrong, or, and I think if th that's also a, a big part, and I think both our professions, you know, is trying to address that, because it's something, you know, when, when a patient comes in, you know, they are looking for that specific one thing, you know, they're looking to either hear that, you know, maybe they've been doing, you know, this one exercise that's been missing from their routine, or, in your case, maybe, you know, it's it's because they've been having fructose that, that everything's been going wrong, you know. So we, we, we're trying to look for a, a, a singular cause sometimes, you know, a, 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 unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's the world we live in, um, to a multifactorial problem. And it's, I think, a big part of what we do in, like, busting myths is to try to explain the whole process, you know, that things don't happen in this vacuum, you know. We have a lot of factors that are, um, in, I want to say, interchangeable and, and, and they react with each other. And you know, having this full picture in front of us is uh, is, is very important. But um, yeah, that's again, that's that. I don't have a lot of this about the like with regards to biokinetics itself. I think it's more like broader towards the whole healthcare scene that use exercise and physical activity. Um, but yeah, that that that's more or less it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for your time. I think this episode is like jam packed with so much information. Um, and yeah, I really hope people take a listen and take it to heart. And 
um, yeah, that they just resonate with the message that you also give, not just as a bioconeticist, but also as a person, like your resilience, your passion, and just uh, authenticity to, to being true to who you are. Um, it's something yeah. that I really value. So um, where can people find about more about you? Where can they find you? Where can they maybe book a session with you? Uh, and we'll definitely link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, you can find me either at, like, at the Optimistic Bio on Instagram or TikTok if you want to take a look at some of the content I make. Um, I also work with another practitioner at Schools and Park Biokineticist. So either one of those two platforms, um, I'll be sure to link all that info for you in the in the description, Hanley, when we um, when you when you post this. Um, yeah, that that's most likely the easiest way to to get in touch with me. Um, but thank you so much, Hanley, for for having me on your podcast. And um, I, I enjoy what you know chatting with with other clinicians. And I think it's great to have these uh, collaborative sessions. You know, we we I think firstly learn more about each other's professions and also see how we can uh, use what we've learned to help our patients better. So I do appreciate it. And uh, I wish you all the best with your masters. I know that you're also busy with that and I am keeping updated on, on, on what you're doing and, and the different steps you're following. Um, and I think that's, a, that's also an exciting process. So I wish you all the best with that. And I'm sure in the future, you know, um, we'll probably have a, an, another podcast or a chat about, about something, maybe a topic, or, or maybe I'll, I'll ask you some questions about uh, dietitian and um, nutrition, you know, that we, I might not be very, very familiar with. Yeah, that, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Thank you for your time and um, I look forward to chatting again. All right. Thanks, Ali. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health Elevation Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can find Health Elevation Nutrition on www.healthelevationnutrition.com. You can also find us on social media with all the links in the show notes. Until next time, keep elevating.